Hey everyone, Pratiti Pathak here. Welcome to Unpacking Brain Drama, where we talk about real life experiences, the challenges and the obstacles. Sometimes we use them to block ourselves. Sometimes we use them to grow and evolve. Here's what I wanna say. Obstacles are not the things blocking our path. Obstacles are the path. So in other words, we have to grow through what we go through. So join me as we have some amazing conversations with some amazing guests. Get ready to get motivated as I welcome today's guest, Eli Marcus. And what's truly motivating is that as a young human, Eli was a painfully shy guy that had created a life of doubts, fears, and low self-esteem through his personal journey of personal growth and development through so much self-help and motivational books that he's read. Eli has gone from painfully shy to top sales guy. He's devoted his life to helping others lead a balanced, healthy, successful, and happy life. He's produced over 2,800 events with guests like Michael Jackson, Les Brown, Ivana Van Sant, Davy Jones, and hundreds more. He's also been known to be called the mayor of Times Square. He is now the Motivation Show podcast host. Welcome our guest today. Eli, how are you today? I am tremendous. And you know why I'm tremendous? Tell me. Tell me all the Well, things. it goes back to a legend in the motivational business. His name was Charlie Tremendous Jones. And every time somebody asked him, how are you? He didn't say he was okay. He didn't say he was good. He didn't say he was great. He said he was tremendous. Now, how's that a react for a reaction rather than I'm okay, which is the average reaction you get? Good point. I think that when you when somebody says they're tremendous, that's actually something I never hear. I usually say fantastic, but tremendous is not something I ever hear. So superlative, tremendous, because you set the rest of your day, you set the pattern in your mind for how your day is going to be, for how your week is going to be, how your month is going to be, your year. And if you keep saying the word tremendous, you know, your whole body will reenact that phrase and everything in your body will align towards making things tremendous. That is so true. It is all about what we tell ourselves. So if we're constantly saying words like tremendous or fantastic or amazing, which I do use the word amazing a lot. So sorry for in advance, <laughs> but yes, that is a good point. When you well, I, I think you're pretty amazing. Thank How's you. that? Thank you. I think you're pretty amazing. You have an amazing show that I love listening to. I'd love to hear about it. Thank you. Actually, my current episode, which I just released, is a doozy. And we're going to be talking about fear uh, because every human being has some level of fear. Many of us never address it in our entire life. Often it lingers there in our sub subconscious. We don't even realize we have the fear or it's been there so long we just accept it as normal. It is not normal to have fear uh, that cripples us. It's normal to have fear. It's not normal for let us letting it cripple us and uh, taking away our dreams, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of snakes, fear of this, fear of that. And we don't operate at our maximum when those fears are there. So uh, going back to a book uh, that was written many decades ago uh, by Dr. Susan Jeffers, who I had the honor of flying to New York back in 1999 to do a seminar for me. She wrote the great book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. 
And what that means is you don't necessarily have to eliminate the fear because many people have tried. But what you do have to do is you can acknowledge the fear, but you got to do it anyway. Whatever it is, getting on the plane, getting the MRI, whatever it is you fear, you have to face that fear. You will not die from that fear unless it's jumping off a plane without a parachute, maybe. But uh, I interviewed uh, probably the most fearless human being on the planet today. And his name is Nick Wallenda from the Flying Wallenda family for hundreds of years have walked the tightrope. Nick walked over, get this, the Grand Canyon without a safety net on a tight wire. He walked over the Twin Towers in Chicago. He walked over Niagara Falls. I hate to fall down in Niagara Falls, talking about sleeping with the fishes. And he walked over Times Square. Wow. Now, talking about learning something about fear, if he had any iota of fear, he would not be able to accomplish what he did. So by listening to my half hour episode, you can change something that's been in your subconscious your entire life, stopping you from reaching your destiny. Now, isn't that a good investment? Absolutely. Half hour? Absolutely. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to it because Fear is something that we all have about something. So, so many of us, I mean, I say this all the time, but we're more afraid to get on stage than we are afraid of dying. So that's right. That's the number one fear is actually getting on a stage. Now, coming from a guy like myself, who was the most painfully shy guy in his entire school and his entire neighborhood, I know a thing or two about shyness and I know a thing or two about, you know, not wanting to speak up. And so you have to get to the point in your life where you're willing to do something about it. And I'm talking about massive action. I use the word massive. We use the word tremendous. Now we're going to use the word massive. If you want change in your life, you got a choice. You can do some change. You can do good change. You can do great change. Or you can do massive change. You've got to be all in. As Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. You don't try to change. You don't try to be something else. You do it. You are speaking my language. I We talk about massive action versus passive action. And I say that I spent a lot of years in passive action, just consuming instead of doing. So, yeah. What is your, um, what is your recipe for doing massive action? What is my, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What, it, what, it, what is your um, suggestion on how to get people to do massive action? What do you recommend? Well, the first thing you need to do is find the right mentors. And, you know, whether it's a mentor who works with you one-on-one or it's somebody that you follow through a book or through a podcast like this, um, you have to find someone that you already are inspired by and is doing the things that you yourself want to do. And that will rub off on you. And then you have to be the kind of person who doesn't just listen and sit back, as we said, because the fortune is in the follow-up. The fortune is not in the listening. The fortune's in the doing. And that's where you become great. That's where the real secret is. You know, you have to go out there and take the initiative. When I was in grade school, there was only one thing that I didn't get a good grade on. And I never even understood the word. And the word was initiative. I got a, you know, I, I had unsatisfactory in initiative. Well, no wonder I was sitting in the back of the class, uh, 
deathly afraid that the teacher would call on me. Um, we had a worse fear than death um, because I thought I was going to be judged by my peers. But that was all false stuff that I created in my own head that wasn't real. Where did and you so create we, that from? Where, like, Was there a moment that happened? Was there an embarrassing moment that took place that you were like, I'm never doing that again? Probably from my upbringing, um, because my mother was very aggressive and she had no, you know, concerns about yelling my name in the streets, you know, four blocks away, I could be playing ball and all my friends are there and she's yelling my name out. And that's a little bit embarrassing for a kid who's playing football and he's tackling and his mother's calling his name out. So maybe I developed this sort of, you know, embarrassment and fear that, oh my God, you know, um, what are the other guys going to think? So a lot of that stems from childhood, but you know something, you can blame your mother and your father all day long. You're wasting your time. There's a point where you got to understand, okay, that's where it came from, but now I'm responsible. I'm responsible for everything. So I can choose to, you know, live in that thing and, and blame, or I can choose to say everything that happens from now on here on in is all under my umbrella. You know what? I, I totally get that. But, you know, I just I have to think that so many people don't know how to make that shift. You know, so what like how does somebody make that shift from this is so embarrassing? I don't want to be called on by the teacher. I don't want to take any chances that I'm going to get laughed at or something like that. How does somebody make that shift from that to I'm going to just own it and I'm going to be okay with right. being humiliated so, or embarrassed? Well, well, what I learned is, is that hiding is a choice. You see, you, you think that by hiding, you can't lose, but by hiding, you could never win. So you play it safe, but you never have any of the marbles. You never have any of the pretty girls. You never uh, get any of the money. You never get invited to anything. You've hidden, you've played it safe. And you think somehow you've won, but you've lost because, you know, as Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. So it's better to have tried and failed than never to have tried at all. So it's better to have actually been rejected by somebody that you want to date than never to have asked at all. Most people think it's the opposite. They're like, oh my God, I got rejected. It's the end of the earth. What you should do is you should embrace that and celebrate that. It took me a long time to understand. It's like, yes, she said no. You know why? Because I had the guts to ask. And actually you'll be greatly respected by someone. Uh, they may not like you or they may not want to date you, but they're like, you know something? He's got, uh, he's got some guts there, you know? So uh, people respect people who have guts. They don't respect people who are like mice and just like sheep and are afraid to ask. That's so true. I mean, if you have the courage to try something and take the chance or what we might think is a risk, it's better to have taken the risk than to not have tried at all because there's no reward in that and you're never going to do anything if you're just going to stay in the back back sidelines and not not even try. I am the king of failure. I've failed over 30,000 times. I've cold called more than any human being on earth. I probably have a Guinness work of world records if they had a, a record on cold calling and sales. But guess what? I'm one of the greatest winners on the planet because I took the time and, and I faced my fears and I cold called 30,000 people. I failed over 29,000 times, but I also succeeded thousands of times 
because I tried more than anybody else. So it life is often a law of averages. It's a numbers game. If you're in sales, the more people you call upon, the more chances of success. So I outcalled on everybody. And that was my secret formula. I wasn't smart in everybody. You know, I wasn't more talented necessarily. I figured out the system. And in life and in business, there are systems. And if you can figure out those systems, and one of the simple ones, it's the law of averages. What do you got to lose? I put my head on at, at my pillow at night and I sleep very well, even if I failed 100 times in a row. Because I say to myself, you know something? I went out there and I had the guts to try 100 times. And I, I am not caught up in the result. I'm caught up in the effort. So if you catch yourself up in the effort and you go and you ask 10 girls out and you fail 10 times in a row, embrace that and, you know, go out and buy yourself dinner because who else asked 10 out? I don't Nobody. care if 10, that's right. <laughs> Nobody. So, that's right. You know, and uh, you don't know what's in their other, you're in their mind. You don't know if they have a, a boyfriend or a husband or whatever. You, you, you don't judge that part. The only thing you judge is whether you had guts enough to go out there and put yourself in the game. That is, you know what, that's one of the things that I learned in, um, in uh, real estate and being in sales that, you know, do not be attached to the outcome, just do the activity, just do the work and don't be attached to the outcome. No's lead to yeses. And uh, that's, that's really fact. The law of attraction states that you do all the things you need to do to prepare yourself and get ready and, and attract the right people. Eventually, things will flow your way through the law of attraction. It won't happen necessarily every single time, but the majority of the time, the answers and the things that you want will flow to you. You just have to follow the formula and trust the formula, have faith in the formula uh, and the there is something in the mind called the reticular activating system, which means that everything that you do and everything that you think um, then uh, creates a mechanism within your body that helps you to achieve whatever you're going to achieve. So if you think lack thoughts, likely lack will happen to you. If you think thoughts of tremendous uh, then tremendous things will start to gravitate to you. It doesn't mean that every single time, it doesn't mean that you're going to say, oh, they see, it doesn't work. You see, I had faith and I tried and it didn't happen. It's not going to happen 100% of the time. It's not, it's not about, we, we don't need to bat 1,000. Ball players who are in baseball, if they fail two out of three times, they're called the superstar. And today they make about $40 million a year. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, like when we, we have a, um, a, a pretty intense course that we go through in um, Keller Williams, it's called bold and we have a bunch of bold laws and my favorite has always been whatever you focus on expands, just like the reticulator activator. It's, it is when you buy a car, now you see that car everywhere you go. It's because you're so hyper-focused on it. That's what you're going to attract to you. Yeah. You know, there must be uh, 12, to 20 million real estate salespeople in America. And my goal, my job is to train people to get into the top 10 of 15 to 20 million some odd people. And that may sound impossible, but it's very, very doable because the other 15 million people probably have a lot of fears and a lot of things that they have not addressed. And if you can address what is in your monkey mind and in your subconscious mind that you've never pulled out, that you never realize are there, you could eliminate that and you can have a new set of thinking. 
you can outdo anybody and be top 10 and even number one. And you'd be shocked at how much you're able to achieve that with the right mindset. And it goes back to 1935, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And if you just listen to the title of that book, the first word is think. <laughs> yes, I love that book. I, I refer to it often. And actually, um, the very end of that book has a, uh, I think, like 90 some questions to ask yourself. And he says, if you do it right, it should take you a whole day to answer these questions. And I, I look at those questions. I, I think that they're um, really thought provoking and they make you really think about what it is that you're thinking about. Yeah, all of life is in your mind. It's not what happens externally. It's what yeah, same thing internally. with our experiences. All of them are in our minds. So when, yeah. when you think about your mom calling on you, creating embarrassment and um, making you be shy from that, that was thoughts that were going on in your mind. Yeah, look, lots of external things happen and we can be devastated by them and we can be justified. We can easily justify it. You know, there's a lot of things that are rough in this life. Uh, but one person can be torn apart by it. Another person can create a foundation, you know, to honor whatever happened to them. 100%. So there's two different ways of handling it. It's a choice at the end of the day. Same thing, two different choices. You make choices. And it's not what happens outside you. So how you decide you're going to handle it. Now, two different people can handle a funeral in two different ways. I've seen people devastated. They want to commit suicide because they lost a loved one. And I've seen other people celebrate. The first time I saw that was when a funeral in Greenwich, Connecticut, along the beach. And I couldn't believe people were getting up to the mic and they were laughing and giggling and they were telling stories and they were celebrating the person who passed on far too early. And I'm like, wow, this is a different way. I've never seen that before. They were celebrating. They could have easily been devastated and I'm sure they were grieving, yeah. but they grieved in a different way. So I learned from that experience that you can even grieve differently. The model of grieving I knew was devastation. The model of grieving that I saw around me was that's it. It's over for all of us, not just for the person who passed on. And I learned a different way, even in the most dire of situations, you know, it's different people handle uh, disease differently. You know, uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel, who uh, wrote Love, Medicine and Miracles, I interviewed him. And he was a pioneer in the mind body relationship. Up until then, basically, you had cancer. Uh, it was gloom and doom. You went to your doctor, they gave you chemotherapy, your doctor told you, you had six months to live, get your affairs in order. And Dr. Siegel said, you know something, get yourself uh, some comedy, get yourself uh, ways that you can laugh and, and, uh, and get inspired, listen to motivational things, you know, meditate, do positive things, tell yourself you're going to heal. And guess what? All of a sudden, the people started getting into remission. Uh, and that six month diagnosis did not become the prognosis, your diagnosis is not your prognosis. You decide what your prognosis is going to be. The doctor tells you your diagnosis, you determine your prognosis. That is, that is uh, beautifully said. Uh, that same program that I was talking about, we I learned about the Miracle Man and how he listened to um, Zig Ziglar 
to like he literally was in a plane crash and he his I think it was his helicopter or something that went down and it crushed his whole body and they said he would never walk he would never do anything but he literally walked out of that hospital his it, it, he was called the miracle man it was an amazing story and it was from that positive mindset same thing with Hal Enron and his story yep, yeah I, I listened to Hal Ed, Elrod and his story, yes, how All he right, came, yeah. overcame what he did and did the miracle morning. Did um, the miracle morning, yeah. Yep. So there's plenty of examples out there of uh, overcoming. Almost every person you know that's successful overcame something great, you know, whether it's Oprah, who was told that she should give up, you know, um, being uh, on radio or TV, she just didn't have the right look for it, or Michael Jordan, it was cut from his uh, team. Um, and you can go on and on with examples of people that failed early on, which then led to uh, inspiration, you know, so often when people are fail, you know, they're more inspired to succeed. And, you know, I just got a rejection letter this morning on something that, you know, uh, so instead of me getting upset about it, it inspired me to show the other person that, you know, you're going to regret that rejection <laughs> because you're, you're going to want to deal with me down the road when you see what I'm doing. Um, so you can use the rejection, you can use the what other people look as devastation as inspiration and motivation to create something great. Yeah, I always say that we we learn and grow from the, the challenges and the obstacles, we don't grow from the success, like the instant gratification, the instant um, success, the instant like, oh, we, we asked one person, they said yes, we didn't learn anything from that. It's when you had the, the 1050 knows that you learned how to change your offer. Uh, I think, uh, I, I don't know who, who the guy is, but I, I heard one of my mentors talking about um, a gentleman who talks about failure and how he actually has a file that he, he looks for um, epic failures in his business because that's how he learns and grows. He's like, if you don't have 10% fails or returns, then you're not putting out enough offers. Yeah, and like I said, I'm the most epic failure anybody is probably going to meet in person live in, in their lifetime. I failed more than anybody else. Um, and I'm proud of that because I had the guts and I had the fortitude to go out and put myself in that position so I would land more successes than anybody else in my entire industry in the world. So, you know, I'm talking millions of people where I landed to be number one, not because I'm smarter, uh, because I'm not, not because I'm more talented, because I'm not, because I figured out what I need to do. I read over 1000 self-help books. I ran the largest seminar company in the world. Uh, I had mentors of people who are a lot smarter than I am. I read every book, uh, including, like I said, from Thinking Girl Rich right on forward. Um, and I learned from that. There's a book coming out in a couple of weeks, which everybody listening to this must read, including you. And it's a sequel to The Psychology of Winning, written by Dennis Waitley, one of my mentors who's written uh, over a dozen books. Uh, and uh, if you think about it, uh, winning is not about uh, somebody else losing. Winning is about putting yourself in a position so you can have a voice and you can live, uh, your voice lives in eternity. Now, uh, think about it. Um, we know who the Olympic gold medalists are, but we don't remember who the silver or the bronze medalists are. Sadly, it's not that we shouldn't. Uh, and sometimes it's only a tenth of a second that separates that. All those years of training, a one tenth of a second, you know, one performance. 
yeah. uh, will change that. And it puts you into a position where you have a voice forever. So it's important uh, in life to win. And it's important to understand the psychology of winning. And I have a testimonial that's in that book, which is one of the greatest books ever written. You mentioned Zig Ziglar. Well, I'm right there alongside uh, Ziglar. Uh, Tom Ziglar wrote a, uh, uh, yes. you know, who's his son. Yes. Uh, and all the other great motivational speakers of today are in that book, Les Brown. There's a forward by Dr. Oz. Uh, I'm maybe the least known person in the entire book. Uh, these are all like motivational greats of all time. What's Dr. Jonas, book? it's the psychology, the sequel to the psychology of winning. Is it, is it like just a um, volume two? Yeah. Well, it's a sequel. Yeah. So it's the follow-up. It's, it's 40 some odd years later. So it is going destined to be a classic. Um, so get your hands on that because sure will. Um, it is going to show you how to position yourself to be number one or even in the top 10. Um, and so I had the pleasure in 1999 to fly uh, a gentleman who today is the number one best-selling book author in history and nonfiction. Now we're talking what 30, 40 million books written. He's number one. We're wow. not talking about number one. If you were number 1 million, you'd be pretty impressive, Yeah. but he was number <laughs> one. And he sat me down for breakfast and he said, Eli, can you put 80,000 people? He, well, he didn't actually ask me 80,000. He said, can you fill up the Meadowlands? Oh. And I said, do you mean that 80,000 seat arena in New Jersey? He says, do you know any other place? And I was a guy who was struggling to fill a hundred seats, let alone 80,000. So it dawned on me years later why he asked that question. We're talking about a guy who just thinks big, thinks bigger than everybody else. He set a goal of a billion bucks. He sold 600 million bucks. Does that make him a failure? No, not at all. So he's 40% less of his goal, but he set the bar so high that 40% less of his goal is far better than 300% of somebody else's goal who set a lot smaller. So where are you setting the bar in your life? So people look at me like I'm an alien when I tell them I can get them in the top 10 of their industry of millions of people. And most of the time, they don't challenge me and don't take me up on my offer because they don't believe it. They don't believe in themselves. They have a fear of success. They have a fear of failure and they shrink from it. Some people are comfortable being in the zone that they're currently in. So do you know the story about the elephant where they tie the elephant up and the elephant cannot get to the food that he's, that's just a few feet away because no. they've tied him up. He keeps pulling out the rope and he's pulling out the rope and he doesn't get anywhere. Mm. Finally, they let the elephant uh, loose and there's no rope any longer. And they put the food aside and guess what? The elephant no longer tries because the elephant is so trained to lose and not be able to get to that food that it doesn't even realize its circumstances have changed. And now it's a, a very easy thing to do. Human beings are the very same way. We train ourselves uh, sometimes to just lose. You know, we're so used to a pattern that's in our head. We don't know how to change that. And that's why I said, you know, what we need is we need a mentor. Uh, we need somebody who can maybe get into our mind, do some hypnosis on us. Uh, I have a friend that's what he specializes in hypnosis to sink into your subconscious mind and pull out all that crap that's preventing you from awakening the giant within you. Oh, I love that. That's with, from Tony Robbins, the giant within you. And we all have it. We just have to discover it. 
I never heard about the elephant. I heard about the fleas jumping up and down with the cover with the lid on top. And then once you take the lid off, they still don't try to get out. Same thing. Same thing. Same same metaphor. So you have, I know that you touched on some of the amazing, wildly amazing things and successful things that you've done. Um, You started from being a painfully shy guy. How did that all start changing? When did that all start changing for you? It all started changing when I made a decision that I no longer wanted to accept that, that I no longer wanted everybody else to have the fun, that I no longer wanted, you know, the kid, you know, why should everybody else have the pretty girls and I don't even get into the game. Uh, so I decided that I wanted more that I wanted to, to make some money. I decided um, more actually that I really wanted more friends because it seemed like everybody else was having more friends and having more fun. So I went into the bookstore and I started buying up every self-help book that I could in trying to learn philosophies and answers uh, to things that I never even knew existed. Uh, and that's when things started to change. I started going to seminars, listening to audio tape programs. I flew to Plano, Texas to listen to Jim Rohn, who was Tony Robbins' mentor. I figured if Tony Robbins learned from him and he does what he does, uh, then what is my excuse not to learn from him? So I spent the thousand dollars, flew there, stood in a hotel room and listened to the great Jim Rohn. Uh, then I decided, uh, you know something, why be the student? I can run the whole ship. And I opened up a company called the Seminar Center and I flew them all into New York City. We did all the seminars, but uh, doing 2,800 seminars in four years, uh, that's pretty exhausting. So that's when I decided, uh, it took me a long time and I said, you know, doing a podcast would be a whole lot simpler. I don't have to fly people to New York, put them in hotel rooms, deal with the egos. Um, I can appreciate them maybe even from afar. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's where the idea of my show was born. And now I get to bring forth all the great thinkers and thought leaders. And in half an hour, you get a Harvard education that even Harvard won't teach you for $80,000 a year. Wow. I mean, when you say 28 28- did you say 28,000, 2,800 um, seminars, 2,800 seminars, and you've had some pretty big names. I've um, had everybody from Michael Jackson, (laughs) uh, you know, to Ivana Trump, to uh, Judy Collins, the famed seventies and sixties folk singer. I had uh, Mickey Hart, who uh, was uh, the uh, drummer for the Grateful Dead. I had Ray Manzarek from the the doors, you know, with the, um, you know, the good old days back then. And I had uh, all the top books, uh, you know, that you can think of from Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I had the author of that. I had uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements, all the New York Times number one booksellers, all the people that uh, I learned from Les Brown, you know, all those great motivational guys. And so, yeah, so I learned from the best. I sat there, I listened, I asked questions. uh, I got out of my shell and I realized that, we have more than one personality within us. It doesn't mean that we're schizophrenic. It means that we labeled ourselves a long time ago and we don't often realize that there's more than one personality. Uh, We're not all just introverted or we're not all extroverted. We all have a little bit of the other side within us. So I realized I had this extroverted introvert or introverted extrovert, however you want to do it, you know, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, And there was this other side and I was able to pull that out of me, but it took a lot of work. And the best way to do it is again to, uh, as, as uh, Tony Robbins often says, model the people that you want to become most like. So I watched all the comics. 
I watched Johnny Carson. I watched all the people he presented. I watched the way they conducted themselves. And I became my own authentic self with an amalgam of all of them. A little bit of of, uh, Robin Williams thrown in, a little bit of Don Rickles, you know, a little bit of Bob Hope, uh, a little bit of everybody. But you must maintain your authentic self. You can't be them, but you can mimic a little bit why they're so popular because they're willing to be outrageous. They're willing to dance while uh, millions of people are watching. And if you can get to the point in your life where you're willing to dance and sing outside the shower, dance for no reason whatsoever, sing for no reason whatsoever while other people are watching and not worry what they think, you will have arrived. I love that. I love that because I think it's important to allow ourselves to be judged because we're so worried about being judged by others. It's because we're very busy judging ourselves and wondering what other people are going to think because of what we already think about ourselves. So that is a big, big thing. So you you made a good point. We are introverted and extroverted because here you were living your childhood as an introvert. And today you uh, showcase as an an extrovert, somebody who went from uh, not speaking up to motivating others. And when you get to the point in your life where you can internalize this thought that what other people think about me is none of my business, what other people think about me is none of my business. When you get to that point in your life, you will have arrived and you will get to the promised land. I promise you that. Um, If you're worrying about what other people are thinking about you, you will not be your authentic self, you will not be in the moment, and you will not be able to do the things that you were destined to do. And I can tell you one thing, to overcome the odds of conception, just to get on this earth, just to be in existence, there's a reason why we're here. And it's not to stuff money in our pockets. It's not to eat and drink like fools. It's to make a difference. And we're here on this planet to find out what is our calling and to make a difference. And one of the differences you can make is simply be kind to other people. I rarely get a compliment. I'm always complimenting other people. Even when I compliment them, I often don't get the compliment back. Think about that, right? Yeah. Why that's don't so we, true. what does it cost us to hand the compliment? One compliment can change somebody's day, their month, their life. I love If we don't know what they're going through. Yeah. I love giving compliments. Even when I'm in a restaurant, women, men, and especially women, I think that women are afraid to compliment other women because somehow they think that takes away from them. But, you know, you're right. When you talk about other people's opinions, other people's opinions is none of our business. Other people's opinions and judgments and thoughts about us has to do with them and their experiences and their thoughts and their judgments. It has nothing to do with us. As long as what we're doing is not hurting anybody and, and actually uplifting ourselves and potentially uplifting other people. If somebody interprets that any way, that's their business. That's their problem, not yours. You have to go on your mission uh, and you cannot be stopped. If Edison talked, uh, thought about the electric light uh, and all his failures and what people thought about what he mm. was doing and told him that he's wasting his time, it could never be done. Yeah, it was we crazy. all be in the dark today. So we've got to act like Edison and uh, we have to filter out all the comments, uh, the negativity, all the self-doubt, filter it all out. Uh, and just go for it. Yeah, it's. I mean, the only opinion that really hurts us is our own opinion of ourselves that is hurting us. That is the only. That's the only opinion that counts. 
I'm not saying go out there and be arrogant and have a, a, a big ego and, and tramp on everybody else, but have a, a solid, good opinion about yourself because that's the only one that is going to lift you up. And the poor opinion about yourself is the only one that's going to bring you down. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think that everything that you're doing out there is amazing. And um, it, the motivational show has been really inspiring for me. I really enjoy listening to that. The motivation uh, show. Yeah, I just want to make sure it's the motivation, motivation show. Yeah. The motivation show, three words. Yes, like I keep saying the, the balloon in, my, in the back here, <laughs> on my background. Yes. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you to work with you and become one of the top 10% of their uh, field, how can they get in touch with you? Well, first you can go on my website, EliMarcusSuccess.com. That's Eli Marcus. That's E-L-I-M-A-R-C-U-S success.com. I also encourage people to follow me, drop me a note on my social media. They can go on Instagram, you know, which is uh, Eli Marcus Success. You can come on uh, my Facebook page, uh, you know, The Motivation Show. They can look that up. And uh, they can email me um, at motivate a the number two then z at gmail.com. Motivate a to z at gmail.com. I answer every email that I get. And the fortune is in the initiative and in the follow up. The fortune is not in hearing this uh, and then shrinking and you know being shy about taking that initiative and, and connecting. You will only get someplace. Uh, with the effort that you make, not with the doubt and the um, thought that maybe uh, I'll think it's foolish or he won't get back to me or whatever uh, fiction that you place in your mind. Let me ask you something, Eli, one more question. And all of those links are gonna be um, in the show notes below. So make sure you uh, send him a note because that'll be definitely a worthwhile uh, investment in yourself. Um, what is the best piece of advice that you would have got given to young Eli? The best piece of advice is to do the things that you know will not have you look back 50 years later and say, what if I tried that? So my best advice is to try and do what you need to do and don't give up and don't shrink from it. So I would go out and I would challenge things and do things, even if I fail. It's better to have tried and failed than never to have tried at all. So I would never say no to a challenge or an opportunity, uh, no matter how hard it is. I would fight for it. If I, I would find the thing that when I wake up in the morning excites me most, and if it's a male child, it's usually sports or music or something along those lines. And I'd go full speed ahead, do everything I can, hire a coach, find a mentors and apply myself and not waste time on things that are not going to move my goal forward. I give it my all so that I'll look back decades later and say, man, I put it all on the table. Because the worst feeling is to look back and say, man, you know, I gave half the effort of the other guys and no wonder why they're on top and I'm where I am. That's the worst feeling in the world. 
great piece of advice. Great advice. Um, I think we can all use that advice no matter where we are, no matter what stage of life we're in. And was there somebody that stands out the most that supported you when and, and had confidence in you when you didn't have confidence in yourself? You know, the truth is, I often look at the Academy Awards and the other award shows, and I see they have a litany of people who have inspired them and done things and personally uh, intervened for them. Um, I would be lying to say that I had that. Most of what I did was self-learned. I had to go out and apply and find the, uh, the people, um, but they were mostly from afar. So there were books uh, and programs and seminars, but it was from afar. But I would give credit to people like Dennis Waitley, who we talked about before, who is my mentor and who is my friend uh, and who is uh, a very genuine individual, because often the people that you admire and idolize are not what they are off the stage. You know, there's a stage persona and there's often a different person. So, you know, there's that kind of expression where uh, be careful uh, to meet the people that you love because <laughs> you might it. be disappointed. Um but so Dennis Waitley, uh, you know, when he gets up on a stage, he is just who he is. He's not trying to be something else. He doesn't have this uh, agenda where he's just trying to make money. And so many people, unfortunately, their uh, bottom line agenda is really the money more than it is to serve. So I resonate with people who are really there. Uh, their number one goal is to make a difference that they don't give a damn if they have one person in the seat or a thousand people in the seat because they're there to serve. If they can make a difference in one person, they've achieved their goal. That's excellent because I think that sometimes we think that when we don't have somebody supporting us physically in our lives, like, you know, in our immediate family or friends, then we feel like we have nobody, but some of my greatest, um, uh, mentors and supporters and best friends have been people that I listen to on the podcast, all the different books I, I listen to. I'm not a reader. I am an audible girl, but um, I agree with you 100%. I have found mentors uh, that are so close to me in my heart and have uh, never met them. So if you want a mentor, you can find them anywhere, especially today with all of the uh, opportunities we have. Well, thank you so much, Eli. This has been an amazing conversation. I can't wait to talk to you some more because um, you and I are riding the same wave. Thank you. And I want you and all of your listeners to have a tremendous day, week, month, year, and life. You're amazing. Thank you very much. I want that too. Stay blessed. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Unpacking Brain Drama Podcast. You'll find links for all the things mentioned below in the show notes. And it would be incredibly awesome if you would take a quick moment to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. If you'd like to be considered as a guest on our podcast, be sure to go to www.resultsbydesigncoaching.com for a free 30-minute coaching session. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.